Well, good morning. I want to join Pastor Joshua. He's, in, look, he's looking wonderful, isn't it? I already miss him. I know his wife and children. You miss him? Oh, yeah, Johnny said yes, yes, yes. But we love him and we, love, we thank God for this year that the Laxon family has now been with us and the leadership and direction of the church. It is just amazing. We love that man and thank God for his love for all of us. Thank you. And how that love, we continue to spread that to all of you. We trust that you experience how we love each one of you, even those of you who join us online. Wherever you're joining from, we love you. And we really want to get more engaged. By the way, just a shout out. Rob is sitting over there. Hi, Rob. Yes, Rob is uh, executive director for uh, uh, Connect. And if you really want to get into technology, how to do online worship, just check him out over there. He didn't tell me to say that, but I just felt I would say that for those online. But we want to thank God for what Pastor Josh and the team have been doing in Nairobi. Uh, as we speak, another group is traveling from here, Matthew Shiles and, and uh, Tom Brandel. They are in Paris and going down to, to Cairo. And Pastor Josh and also Vince and Joe, they we all meet up there with whatever time difference they have. And they'll be connecting with our partner church in Casa de Bora. And that church has been our partner for so many years. And they are reaching churches in places that you and I cannot. We'll see a picture of some of those places they reach out. So continue to be in prayer. Our senior pastor and the team, we need all the rest when they get back. Because it's not just a vacation. They're on a walking trip, all right? So promise to pray for them. Now, for those of you in the room, I want to thank you and tell those online, these people, you braved the lobby to come in here. Isn't that wonderful? The facelift and what we're seeing that is going on in the lobby, the tiles are out, the carpets are going to be uh, taken away, and all of those are going to be replaced. The painting was already done a couple of weeks ago. Now, the goal of this facelift is really create that environment where it brings us closer to the worshiping of King Jesus. The goal of all of this as the months go by, when you come here, as you enter this place, you'll be able to see what we've been talking about, what we do, our vision, that you will see. You walk in there, we connect with God and with, with people. We care for, for, we connect with God with people. You see that we have resources in people through our care team, resources and people. And as we exit every week, we are going to be commissioned to go to our neighbors and the nation, but also we'll be able to cultivate leaders and disciples. So that's the goal, to create a place where King Jesus is glorified, his worship, but also we are all sent out to be the ones he has called us for such a time as this. We're continuing in the, in the series here in the book of Acts. Last week we were in chapter 6. So I'm going to take um, chapter 6, verse 8, all the way to chapter 7. So about two weeks ago, discussing this with Pastor Josh, I said, man, that's the longest preaching in the book of Acts. You know, Stephen has so much to say. So just hold tight. When we're done, we're done, all right? Don't just get up and leave. No, we're not going to go verse by verse and line by line. But today, we're going to be talking on the subject that we have just sung about, you know, how Jesus is a faithful witness. And we all in this room, we have witnessed something. But it's always good to define words. So 
I worked with my, my son-in-law, he's, he's an attorney, and Natalie Reyes, she's an attorney. In the group here, I've talked to some of you all those. They gave me a simple definition that we can use to fit with scripture. So this is the definition. It's important to know what we have sang and talking about. A general definition of a witness, a person who sees an event, typically a crime or accident take place. So you're an observer, you're an eyewitness, you're a bystander, you can testify, you watch it happen. And these days you can be fast enough to capture it on your phone or whatever device you have. You can tell that something went on. The one we're going to be working to get today with is the definition. A person who has knowledge of an event or change from personal observation and experience. A person who openly professes their religious faith to know Christ and to make him known. So we'll be talking about the witness. So I have some questions I want to put to us, and some of those may apply to some of you, and maybe will apply to, to someone else, where you have been an example and an experience observed as a witness and you testify. In a court of law, you know, you may have been able to testify in a civil case, whether a malpractice, harassment, or divorce. Or in a criminal case, robbery, assault, murder, we'll see that in our reading today. Or sometimes you're a witness to testify in a juvenile case. You know, they vandalize the cars in the parking lot or in the neighborhood. Or they are able to, you know, just get um, some havoc done that somebody can tell about it. Or you've been a witness in a family matter. Maybe there's a dispute your family decide will settle this out of court. So you have to be able to be a witness, a, a witness that can tell this is what this did, that did. So we are all able to testify to something. Or in our neighborhoods. Some of us have experience in a neighborhood where there are some crimes that are committed. Maybe somebody moved your, your mail that came through Amazon or somebody moved your Christmas decoration or even your campaign sign. You saw that, you notice it, and you can tell about it. Or you have been able to witness in a family. You know, my wife and I raising uh, our daughters, you know, when they're young, especially teens, you know, you were always asked to witness, Mom, did you hear what she said? Dad, did you see what she did? She's wearing my blouse. She came to my room. Did you see that? And so, Mom and Dad, we have to take the witness stand if we can validate what one daughter is saying to another. But there are many ways that we can be a witness to something that happens. We are witnessing a worship experience. Sometimes we've been able to, worship, to witness those who have trusted Jesus Christ, they believe and they are baptized here. They want the world to know that I have trusted Jesus. He's my savior and I stand and I follow him. That is what believers' baptism does. That I died with Christ, I rose again because I've trusted him and now I want the whole world to know. So that's the reason for these questions about witness because as a witness, your conduct, the content of what you communicate, your character, the consistency in your, me in your message, your recollection of facts makes you a witness that is true or false. Sometimes as a witness, there's a price to pay. We'll see in our scripture or we've seen in biblical example that when you stand up for truth, 
when you stand up for what is right, you are going to be able to pay a price for being a witness. Some biblical examples that we've seen that they witness to what happened, we've seen Moses had to witness to the pharaohs. Joseph earlier had to witness about his experience and to say the truth. We see Esther, a young girl that was in a difficult position, but she said, hey, they want to get rid of my people, but I can testify that this guy is the false witness. Daniel was a great witness, another young teenager that is able to testify about the truth. I like the story of the woman we call in the Bible, the woman at the well. I really call her Samantha. You know why I call her Samantha? She was from Samaria. You know, it's just like us who come from Africa. They call you always African. You know, they were North, South, or East, you're African. Samantha, the woman at the well, she said, this man had told me everything I ever did. Come and see him. That was a witness by the woman at the well. Or the blind man. And people were just barraging him with questions. And he said, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I can see. Do you want to follow the man? So when you witness, you invite people to what is true and what is clear. In our text today, before we get to the book of Acts here, we will see that Dr. Luke, who is writing the story, gives us a parallel of what is going to happen to Stephen, we're talking about today, but also what happened to Jesus himself, that Jesus had to bear witness. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But he also had to take his own witness stand. And Matthew writes about that. He says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 59, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus. Why? So that they could put him to death, but did not find anyone, though many false witnesses came forward. But he goes on to say, finally, Two came forward and declared, this fellow, referring to Jesus, said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the whole high priest stood and said, Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But at this time, Jesus was silent. So we see that the Bible is filled with witnesses who we are declaring the truth that they believe, and they were not going to find any way they can compromise it, but it will cost them their lives. And these are the ones we call a credible witness. So we are looking at Stephen today. We're going to look at Stephen, and we can draw these lessons even from Jesus as we have seen that. Are you a true witness of the gospel, or are you a false or pseudo-witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. With that, let me invite us to please stand. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 6, verse 8, to the end of that chapter. We will not read chapter 7, but we make references to that alone. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, that's the Egyptians there, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, 
We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sahedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That's actually the answer to the quiz that Pastor Josh gives at the end. So you don't have to Google it, you have to find it in the Bible. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the word that you've given us today. Lord, we pray that Holy Spirit, we will hear from you, we will understand, and we apply these to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The evidences of a credible gospel witness. I'm going to cover four topics from lessons we can learn and principles that we can apply to ourselves. What are the evidences of a credible gospel witness. Number one, filled by the Holy Spirit to be alive, face opposition with wisdom and courage, faithful to the Bible story, fearless and firm in rebuking wrong, and finish well and will be received by King Jesus. So let's dive into these one by one. The first one, filled by the Holy Spirit to be alive. In verse 8, we read, we've already seen earlier in chapter 6 in the beginning that Stephen, one of the seven that was chosen, he was a deacon, he was what we'll call a faithful servant, a tower holder, that Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. And because he was filled with the Holy Spirit in the church in Jerusalem, when he is facing this situation, he relies on the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone who trusts Jesus, who believes the gospel, that you know that Jesus loves you, that God loves you, and we are sinners, and that if we, if we turn away from our sins and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is given to one who is a believer. And at that moment, you experience a power that you cannot explain. And Stephen was this man who had received the Holy Spirit that was upon him. And even as believers, we always have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit because we leak. And so we see in scripture that when Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, we should desire it more. There should be a longing in our hearts for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said these words about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, verse 16 to 17. If you love me, Keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, comforter, the Holy Spirit, to help you, and he will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, and he lives with you, and will be with you forever. If you've trusted Jesus, the Spirit is never going to leave you. You may leave the Spirit, but he's present. And if you've never trusted Jesus, if today would be your day and said, I want that supernatural power that God has for me there, you believe, you trust, and you receive. And the Holy Spirit will abide with us forever until we get to see the Father. 
But, G, but Paul knew when he was writing about what Jesus had given us, this promised gift uh, of the Holy Spirit, we knew that it would be a difficulty, you struggle. So what do you say to believers? I know Jesus, but I'm struggling with sin. I am inconsistent in my walk with Jesus. Well, listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the gospel, when you believed, when you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing an inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is always going to be that. He is always going to be the believer. There are times you will say you leak. But what is the evidence when you can know to be a credible witness who, as a credible witness, you share the gospel, you tell the truth, but you suffer for it? But even if you had a credible witness, you depend on how do you know? These are some ways we see in the scripture that I will know the Holy Spirit abides in me. Number one, there is a longing for God. There's a longing for the presence to love Jesus more. Nothing else puts that in my heart that I love Jesus who died for me, who he was buried, he rose again. I know I have the Holy Spirit when I feel his deep love. Christians, if you're experiencing the deep love of Jesus, that is the abiding walk of the Holy Spirit. There's not only that longing, but when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I also come to the place where I am able to see sin, confess, and repent. Because the Bible says that Jesus that the Holy Spirit will remind you of your sin, your lawlessness, your, your, when you walk away from, the God, if, if from God. You know, believers, if you are struggling out there, there's something reminding you. Some of you will say, still small voice, but I believe it's the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not only longing that is filled, a, a presence of Jesus, confession and repentance of sin. That's what actually people call revival. When we say there's a revival, it's because I want to be in the presence of Jesus. Whether it's a worship experience, whether it's just being in his presence with his word, the scriptures, that is revival. Confessing, repenting, and turning away from sin and looking to the king of kings, Jesus. But also I know I am filled with the Holy Spirit when I live my life to glorify King Jesus. When I want to honor him in my business, in my family, in my neighborhood, in all of my dealings, I want King Jesus to be glorified. Then I know the Holy Spirit is working in me. It doesn't end there. If I am filled and living with the Holy Spirit, I want to declare the gospel. I want to tell people the good news, whether I tell them by my deeds, my works, but I will proclaim it with my lips. So that's the first thing we see. A credible witness who knows Christ will be Holy Spirit. Oh, if that is your longing today, even on the sound of my voice, God said, God, this is where I am in my Christian walk. May I experience the Holy Spirit. My, I know that power, that presence. It's not something that is just supernatural. The Holy Spirit will guide you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit will direct you. I pray that will be your experience with us today. Second, one that is filled with a credible witness, filled with the Holy Spirit, we also, number two, face opposition. So we see Stephen right here. The second thing we see in verse nine, opposition arose among the members of the synagogue. The synagogue were all these worship centers that were scattered 
in, 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 the, in, the, in the New Testament time because they've been in different parts of the world and they came back to Jerusalem to build these gathering places. So there were so many, over 400 in Jerusalem alone. And these were the places they would meet to worship. But what we read here is that the church was a multi-ethnic church. It was not just one set of Jews that were there. We saw last year, some, last week, that some of the people were Jews who they speak Hebrew. But there are also those who are just, they just speak Hebrews. So the church was multifaceted. Just like I see God is building his church here in, in, at Northland. Or if you live in central Florida, multi-ethnic thing is just something you live with. You know, you have those of us of African origin, Chinese origin, they're over there. You have Latinos, you have Portuguese, and some of those are actually listening to us in their own language right now. But that was the mix-up of the church, the makeup of the church. Those people were all brought together. When you have a church like that, <laughs> you're going to have challenges. You're going to have some people say, well, he talks different, there's a different accent. But that's the time the opposition came. We see Stephen here was facing that. How did he handle this in the church? Well, when you face these problems, you have to re remember that, am I standing in the spirit of Jesus? So with all the arguments with Stephen, the scripture says, when they were arguing, apologetic, defense of the faith, we read in verse 10, they could not stand up against the wisdom and spirit, the spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. Oh, in your oppositions, in the things that people go against you, whether it's school, students, I know you face a lot of challenges. You are in the right place to be a credible witness. And some of us at work, in your jobs, you face all these divisions and all these things that go on. You are in the right place to be a credible witness. Because what does it mean for us here in the U.S. when we talk about being a credible witness? Well, for some of us here in the U.S., we face a lot of opposition. We, people, we criticize the church. People, we complain because we stand on the Bible. Our values, our morals are the Bible. We believe we belong to the Bible, and that's the way we behave. You face that like Stephen was facing. It's like an opposition that you go through. But I can tell you, some of our brothers and sisters in many parts of the world, I want to show you a map here. We show every year, uh, Open Doors put this uh, map out here, World Watch List 2023. And these are the countries where there are severe, high-level, and extreme persecution. You can Google that and see all what it says about those 50 countries. And every year, the ranking goes up and down. Last year, based on the situation, in Afghanistan, and they were number one. But always, North Korea is always number one. About 11 of those, uh, 12 of those countries are just in my own continent. That is where Christians are facing persecution. And on the next slide, you will see that in these areas where persecution, one in seven Christians worldwide are persecuted. So every one of you right now sitting here, there are seven people who are suffering because they love Jesus, they obey him, they stand against evil. One in five Christians are persecuted in Africa. Number three on that list is Somalia. You know, that's one of the countries there's extreme persecution of Christians. About five of those uh, extreme countries on the continent and two in every five, two in five Christians are persecuted in Asia. Why? Because they love the Lord Jesus and they stand for it. The question will be, 
So what do we do? If we're Christians, how do we handle? How do we respond? Let me tell you what Jesus said about how we respond to persecution. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say falsely and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. The reason we should be able to stand for persecution is because of King Jesus. Whether you are opposed in family, in schools, in neighborhoods, in any situation, let it be for the truth of the gospel. There's another organization, it's called Voice of the Martyrs. They put out lots of stories, lots of information. We followed them for many, many years. And Voice of the Martyrs, I got two stories from there about those who are persecuted because they follow Christ. And I named this Yusuf, and they tell about Yusuf. Even after losing everything, his possession, his home, his job, and his son, Yusuf said, Jesus is worth it all. That's what we're singing about. Jesus is worth it all. We have not sacrificed anything compared with what God had sacrificed for us, Yusuf wrote. Fellowship with the other believers, the community of other believers, it's what helps him to stay strong and to love Jesus. And Susan also writes, her Bible was burnt by the people who were oppressing her. She lost Genesis and Revelation, but she said the rest of the Bible is in place. Every time I read it, I know I've lost my husband, I've lost my son, I've lost my home. But every time I open the Bible, my heart is warmed by God's faithfulness. That's what Christians should be able to stand for. The Apostle Paul wrote about when we face these difficulties, opposition. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. This is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am strong, he makes, when I'm weak, he makes me strong. You know, the history of the church tells us that. There's a book sometimes you can find, it's called John Fox wrote the book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It gives you a, a loaded historical account of all how all the apostles died, how all the disciples died, and in the history of the church, how many people were killed. And in that book, he quotes a church historian, Tertullian, he says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We are worshiping Jesus here today, there online. Somebody suffered and some died for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've seen a credible witness is filled with the spirit. You face opposition, but the third one is you are faithful to the Bible story. And that's all of chapter 7. So if you open your Bibles in chapter 7, verse 1 to 50, I'm going to do a word study and line by line. So we're going to be here till dinner time. Is that okay? (laughs) No, I'll give you the summary of the message. Stephen was faithful to the scripture. So there were charges that were levied against Stephen. And the two charges were, this guy is going against God and Moses and he's going against our temple. 
So now Stephen is put in the witness stand. Now Stephen is going to make his own defense. He's going to be his own defense attorney. Let's see how he's going to handle this one in the rest of these chapters. So how does Stephen handle this? We read in the scripture here, the high priest said, are the charges true? Well, Stephen is ready. To this, Stephen replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. So Stephen is now going to unpack in his defense before the audience. The audience were Jews. The audience were people who knew of the Old Testament. So what facts does Stephen present as a credible witness? These are the facts that Stephen presented. He said, let me tell you about Abraham, because they all knew about their father, Abraham. So he tells that story there in chapter 7. I'm just going to summarize the content of what he was given. He told them about Stephen. He told them about Joseph, about Moses, David, Joshua, and Solomon. All of these were the people sitting in the audience. They knew this fact, but they had distorted what they knew. Because they were only thinking about their temple. So what fuels you to be a credible witness is the Bible. The stories of scripture are able to make you a good defense attorney for Christ Jesus. How much do you study the Bible? Whether it's a children's ministry, they go through an, a, a curriculum, they know the entire Bible. Whether it's students, whether it's young adults, study the scriptures. Be able to know the big picture that the Bible talks about creation. If you've been here, Genesis 1 and 2, you've heard Pastor Josh teach a lot about that. Genesis chapter 3, where he talks about the fall. So you have creation, the fall, and the coming of Jesus, the redemption, and the new creation and restoration that will come. Find ways that if you belong to our congregation, I know the Bible. In Northland 2.0, we have been unveiling and teaching groups and those who are leaders, we're talking to them, everybody at Northland is going to be in a life group someday. Some of you are there. Say life group. Let me tell you what that L-I-F-E means. You know, we have our four C's and under the C that we have um, cultivate, we have life group. Life, the L is for learning. Every one of us from children, to the cradle, who want, from the cradle to the cross when we get there, who want everyone to be learning the scriptures. Find ways that you can relate to a Bible study. Find ways that you can relate to scripture. That is learning. And the I in life is for interest. There are all interest groups we have at the church here. You know, we'll say, well, we have the children, you have the students, you have young adults, and there are different interest groups, you know, those who play golf, and any one of those groups of interest, you come together. The reason would not just be you have coffee, but you study the Bible, but then you have to go into LF, you find a function, find a way to serve. You heard at the beginning of the, the, mess, the, the announcement here. Find a way you are serving your church. You are learning, you have an interest, and you have function. You may be in a functional area already. We don't want you to just cross over. But use your function. Say if it's our worship team, whether it's our student gathering, whether it's uh, children, and all of those, they are already functioning, but they are learning, they have an interest, they function, and the E in life is be evangelistic. Find ways that you can be going out there and, and learning the Bible and be part of a life group.
Maybe you are challenged by not being able to get a way that you know how to share your faith. Because what Stephen was doing here, he was declaring the gospel, sharing how to tell others, how to witness to Christ, about Christ to others. If you have a challenge in that area, on March 16, we have a life group that will be meeting led by Dan Hardaway, sharing the hope that is in you. Go online, you can sign up. And in few sessions, you can learn, how do I take the gospel in school, in the marketplace, in the neighborhood to tell folks about Jesus? Friends, there are great opportunities we have out there to be a witness for King Jesus. So the fourth way we see a credible witness for the gospel is you are fearless and firm in rebuking wrong. Fearless and firm in rebuking wrong. So Stephen now has made his defense. He rests his case. But he's now turning this over on the people. So what does he do? Verse 51. Stephen looked at the crowd that he's been telling them that they have distorted the Bible. Verse 51. Stephen says, You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet? Your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. So Stephen, in making his defense as a credible witness, all of these people who were in the audience, that they have charged him that said he's guilty, said, now you're the one that are guilty, because you killed Jesus Christ. He came, he lived among you. You are the ones that are guilty. You are the ones that are false witnesses, and he turns the charges on them. How much do you know the Bible that you can defend it in school? How much do you know you can defend the Bible in your, in your neighborhood? Or when we have friends and say, man, I don't believe the Bible. You know one question when people tell you they don't believe the Bible? Tell them to just know. Tell them what they know about the Bible because they don't believe it. And you use that same argument, like Stephen here, you can tell them what is the truth. That is what Stephen did. Stephen was able to counter their charges because he knew the truth about Jesus. Why was Stephen changing the charges on them? He wanted to know that I only wish that I have declared Jesus to you and you people will listen to him. So we have lots of teaching, theology, and opinions and constructs that people gave all over out there. But we have to be able to tell what is this Bible that I believe. So Stephen makes a firm stand for the gospel, and he's able to handle the truth. But I want us to see how is Stephen going to finish. That's the fifth thing we'll see in our text here. Finishing well and being received in King Jesus. So now Stephen has declared he had put the charges on them. What is the reaction? What is the response to these people? See how they responded. Verse 54, all those who were in the Sanhedrin had this. They were furious and they gnashed their teeth and said to Stephen. They were even closing their eyes. They don't want to hear. But Stephen, this is the way he finished well. The scripture says in verse 55, but Stephen again, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. You know, we finish well in our walk with Jesus as a credible witness when the glory of God is present with us. That is only what the Holy Spirit can see. Stephen saw the glory, the majesty, the awesomeness of God right in when he was being persecuted. And the account we read here that when he saw the glory of God, what did he see? The Bible says he saw 
Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Many times you read in the scripture there, Jesus, when he completed his work, or we read in the creed, he was seated at the right hand of the Father. But why is Jesus standing when Stephen is finishing well? Because Jesus is saying, come home, you are welcome. I crown you, the meaning of his name, Stephen. He's crowned, he's received into glory. And God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That was the standing ovation that Stephen received in heaven. Jesus standing to welcome him. I believe God in his greatness knows how to welcome all those saints who've gone before. And what else do we see at this finishing well? The Bible tells us that Stephen was seeing the glory of God and these people who were charging him, you know, they really got furious. The Bible says they covered their ears, they covered their, they took off their clothes. That's, by the way, the way guilty people act. You take off your clothes in that context to say, well, we're really doing the, the, the bad one. But this is what we read in the scripture, in the witness of Stephen. He said, those who were stoning him, Stephen, the first matter, they gathered all their clothes in front of a guy who was in the crowd. His name was Saul. The witness of the death of Stephen brought the life to Saul. Now, many of us in our walk with Jesus, we may not have to suffer this way, but we should be ready for it. We never know when persecution we, 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 we face us, not only the opposition, but if you have to suffer, let your witness be one that will bring somebody to Christ. Can you imagine, Northland, all of us here and online, if you pick one person, you pray for them and you witness to them. That's how God grows his church. It's not just by transferring people, but by Stephen dying and witnessing right here. That is the message we have for the gospel that we can stand for the gospel message that God has given to us. And I want to challenge us that as we think about these times in, the, in, our, in our church, that the Holy Spirit is with us. That Stephen did the last two things he did. He prayed for those who were stoning him. The way you bring people to Christ is start praying for them. And he's received in heaven. He prayed and he forgave. It's God just like Jesus. I forgive these people. I end with a story that, that was acted here on stage by Ballet Magnificat a couple of weeks ago, The Hiding Place. That is a book that back in Africa in school we read, The Hiding Place Story. In that story, it talks about uh, Corrie ten Boon. They were Dutch in Holland, not too far from Amsterdam. And during the World War, they were hiding the Germans. And the Nazis were really uh, 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 seeking to kill those people. But they were hiding them. And later on, uh, Corrie ten Boon and her sister Betsy, they were taken into the concentration camp. And they knew the guards that were letting them suffer. They beat them and her sister Betsy died in that concentration camp. Many years ago, Corrie ten Boone was preaching in a church. And in that church, she finished talking about the message of forgiveness, the gospel that unites us with Christ. And as she was standing there greeting people, he saw this man walking up to him. And he could remember, this is the God who made my sister suffer and killed. And the man extended his hand. And Corrie ten Boone said that was one of the longest moments for her to take her hand and greet that man. Because God had done a work in the life of this Nazi God to experience Jesus. And Corrie ten Boone forgave him because Jesus had forgiven.
What kind of credible witness are you today? Here are these four action points. I pray that we at Northland, we can take any of these points this way. We want to go out where he's calling us. And these are the points I want us to think of. Go witness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Talk to God before you talk to people. Let this Bible, the word of Christ, fill our witness by our conduct, by our thoughts. But also let we, us be fearless in the face of opposition. In school, at work, in neighborhood. Stand for Christ. You know, be gentle how you share Christ. Pray and forgive those who have not yet trusted Jesus or who are difficult for you. This is the way our church becomes empowered as we go through this book of Acts. So in the next few moments, we're going to be hearing a song about our surrender and how we can go out. I want you to take this as a moment for rededication, recommitment, that Jesus, I want your spirits to feel me in my presence here today. And as you listen to these words, you hear these songs, let it just a moment of be a moment of transformation. Whatever posture you want to take and praying as our team will lead us, just express that and go out from here today filled with the Holy Spirit of King Jesus. Let us pray. King Jesus, you have given us a great gift of promise. This is the moment, King Jesus, we come to you. We come to you, Jesus, to say we surrender. We want to be a credible witness. We want to share the truth, the message, and whatever it will take in Jesus for us to suffer for the truth. Will you take it now, Lord, and be with my brothers and sisters right in this room and others online, that you're going to give us a great breakthrough that we'll be able to receive the power of the Spirit even as we continue to listen and to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.